Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you here. We are right in the middle of this series called My Life in Focus. And what we've been doing with this series is we're looking at how vision in our life can really bring things into focus in all of the areas of our life. And so today we're going to continue on with that. And last week we we covered, well, the first week of this series, we looked at kind of the pers- personal vision. We defined what vision is, division, or division. We're not doing division. Save that for another. We don't want to do division, honestly. We want to do multiplication, not division. So, But vision is really this. I want to define it. It's a clear mental picture of what God wants to accomplish in our lives and through our lives. Okay, And so we, we talked about how vision plus ownership equals everyday motivation. We talked about how if you can get a clear picture of what God wants in the different areas of our life, and then you begin to take personal responsibility, owning what God says, um, motivation starts growing and it builds and it continues on through the years of our life. And so we looked at the very first week, personal vision, and Paul, one of the key church leaders in the, in the New Testament, his vision was to know Christ. And we looked at a passage where he says, I want to know Christ and I want to know the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And he's not just talking about an intellectual understanding of, oh, I see how it all fits together. He really wanted to experience that power at work in his life. He wanted to, to know Christ and his power in an experiential way. That's how you, we defined um, that passage. We looked carefully at the wording and just what it all meant. And so that's really something that we all ought to have as our vision personal vision. I want to know Christ. And I want to experience His power in my life, in the different areas of my life. Last week, we talked about getting God's vision in the area of our finances. What is God's you know, major vision? What's the picture that we should have for how we handle our resources? And so we looked at that last week. So if you missed either of those, I just encourage you to hop on our website, check out those messages. If you want to just follow along, you can certainly go back and do that. And today we're going to turn and look at what is God's vision for the church? And then how do we fit into that? What is our role in it? And so before we do that, I want to pray. And so would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your presence here with us. We welcome you to this place, Lord. And we ask that you would that you would just speak to us, Lord. And through your word, you would just zero in on the core issues, Lord, that we need to hear from you today. Lord, I pray that as we just read through some key statements, Lord, in Scripture, that we would really respond to you, God, and what you're saying to us this morning. I ask you to protect our time, Lord, from distraction and anything that would hold back what you want to accomplish in this time. Lord, I pray in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would do your work and you protect our time. In the name of Jesus, we ask together. Amen. Well, the picture that you have in your mind about church may vary from the person next to you, okay? When it comes to church, we, we probably do have a mental picture of what it, what is church. What, and people define churches in different ways. People write books about church and what it is and what it's not. And so really what I want to do this morning is look at what is God's vision for the church? What does God say the church is about and what the church is intending to do? What is his plan? And so, but your vision may vary. From the person next to you. So, one person might be thinking, well, my vision for church is, is activity. Or even busyness. 
We have a lot going on in this church, especially in this season of church life. We're, we're ramping up, coming out of the summer, heading into the fall, we're ramping up. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of events, there's a lot of activities. We've got a lot of training going on that we're doing. We've, small groups will be kicking off here in the, in the next month. And so maybe the picture in your mind about church is, is busyness. <laughs> and so maybe that might be a good thing if you're a person that likes to be busy. And if you're like stressing out right now, it's like, oh, that's a, that's a scary picture in my mind right now. Another picture that might come into to our minds is maybe it's the church is the place where I socialize or where I, where I get refreshed because I get to see some people that refresh me. It's where I form friendships. It's where I connect with people that I would say I do life with those people. And so maybe there's this life-giving picture. So when you think of church and when you think of this group, you think of maybe people's like actual faces kind of pop up in your mind who bring refreshment to you. Could be also that Church is a place where you, you know, your picture is, maybe when you think of church, is just, that's where I go to, to learn how to, to live for God. I just want to, I just want to do that. I don't want, I don't want to do that with people. <laughs> I'm not interested in relationships. I'm just interested in learning from God and from the Bible. Maybe that's your picture. Uh, church might even be the place where you go to feel better about yourself, about life. Maybe you're having a rough time and maybe in your mind you think of church and it just lifts your spirit because you think, I go there and I get uplifted. Some people, though, avoid church because when they go there, they feel horrible. (laughs) They feel worse. They feel guilty. They feel convicted. And so there's this range of possibility of, of what, you know, the picture is for church. So what's the picture in your mind? Attached to church. Think about that. Call it your mind. What, what is that picture attached to this idea of the church? Now, the goal of the church, according to God, is really that we would please Him. That we would, that we would please Him in all that we do. That we would know Him, love Him, glorify Him. And that we would be used by Him to help people to come to know Him. And be fully devoted to Him. That's, that's what He desires that the church would be about. That it would be a place where people are pleasing God and that they're doing ministry. They're cooperating with God in ministry. Ministry is what we're going to look at this morning. Just God's vision for church and, and ministry. Ministry is a biblical term. And it, it's an English translation of um, some Greek words. And so I want to show you the words up here and define them for you. So you see these words. Diakoneo is a verb. It means to serve. And it sometimes when you, when you come across this this word in the New Testament, you might see the word serve, or you might see the word attend, or even minister. And so that's one of the words that can translate for ministry. This is where it comes from. Also, duluo means to serve as a slave. And it's, it's, it is the, carries the same idea of serving, but it's the lower form of a servant. You know, it's, it's the lowest form, the slave, the one who does the, the chores that no one wants to do. Okay, Now, serving is the root of ministry. I brought that up because I wanted you to see the idea of ministry and doing ministry is connected closely to this idea of just serving. God made us to be part of a community. He made us to do life with others and to contribute really to His church with our own lives. That we would would invest ourselves personally in what God is trying to accomplish through the church. Now God, He made us to be part of that. And our role in church is not to be served. It's not to gain status. Our role in church is not to get success. The right vision for ministry really begins with the notion that 
Church is not about me. It's not about us. God's trying to do something through us, but it's not, you know, just about me gaining things. The living picture of this is Jesus himself. He said this. Look at Matthew 20, verse 28. Speaking of himself, he summarizes an encounter he has with his disciples. They're, they're wanting to jockey for position, and Jesus says, look, leadership in the kingdom is not like leadership in the world. Here in the world, everyone jockeys for position. They step on people to, to get success. The kingdom is very different, he says, that in the kingdom, the leaders are the servants. The slaves. That's, that's the leaders of the kingdom. And then he says this, even as the Son of Man, that's the title he would use for himself, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, he lived this. He lived this. He was not above doing menial things to serve people. He was not above even washing the feet of his disciples when it was needed. And now there's a living picture. If you need a vision for your life, get that picture in your mind of Jesus, God of the universe, coming to live among people and then taking the lowest form of a servant and washing their grimy feet. That's a picture of, of you know, that's a living picture of, of serving and doing ministry. And he lived that out. And if we're going to humble ourselves and serve, really, if we're going to do ministry, because that's what service is, like that, then we have to have a compelling reason to extend ourselves in that way. I mean, why extend ourselves and do ministry? Why serve people? Why bother getting up and, and, and serving God's purposes? You know, so many of you got up this morning and, and you served. You got up, sacrificed some sleep. I'm not sure when you went to bed last night, but... You know, you, you had a commitment, you're like, I'm going to get here, I'm going to do what I, I'm, what I said I would do. And so maybe you were a part of one of the teams that set something up this morning. might have been that you helped build the stage or the screens, or maybe that you were setting up the sound, or building the, the classrooms for our kids' ministry. Maybe you were brewing coffee. And the big question that comes up with ministry like that, serving like that, is why bother doing it? And over time, the motivation runs out if we don't know how to answer that question. Why bother? Why volunteer? Why get up so early to serve? Or why stay so late when I'm hungry and I want to get to my lunch? Why bother? Why, why bother getting involved in people's lives midweek? Why gathering in small groups? Why bother? Why care about a person who seems to be hurting and ask, you know, ask them, hey, can I sit with you and talk to you and just hear what's going on in your life? Why bother doing any of that? In order to understand why we extend ourselves to minister, we have to look at some backdrop ideas and issues. And we're going to really look at those issues this morning. And some of these things you may have heard about before, but maybe you're not sure where these things fit into the normal thinking and flow of life. We're going to talk about things like heaven and hell. So you've heard of these things, but I want to just say, if, 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 you, do have, if you do have children in the room, I'm not going to scare anyone with what we're talking about this morning, but I'm going to talk very um, pointedly about what the Bible teaches about heaven and about hell. And so I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. We, we do have a kid's own children's ministry. And so what this may do for you, though, is it may raise issues that you can discuss with your kids. So you might have a purpose in having your child because you want to talk about some of these things. But my goal is not to scare you. I just, I just want you to know where we're going today. We're going to be talking about some of that. But here, here's some of the backstory. This is why Jesus' followers extend themselves to do ministry. 
Okay, this is why. The Bible shows us that there are only two ways to live. There's only two ways to live in life. There's our way, and there's God's way. And so I want to just, this is not in your listening guide. You can flip your listening guide over if you want. You can jot these down. So, our way, this is our default. This is our reset. Okay, this is what we just do naturally. Our way is to reject the ruler. It's to reject God. To reject His laws, His ways. To not obey Him, but just to reject what He says about life. And to try to run, run our lives our own way. Just run our own course in life. To live independent from God. And to just live for ourselves. And what we decide, we want to make a priority. We've all set out to do that, is what the Bible teaches. And the result of living our own way is this. The Bible says that it's, we're condemned by God. We're condemned. When we try to run our own way, we just we find ourselves in opposition to God because of our sin. And we're condemned by Him. The Bible teaches also that we're facing judgment. The result of all of that, rebellion, is judgment. We're, we're already under His judgment. We're facing death and final judgment in a place called hell. And hell is, is a real place where we're separated from God for all eternity. It's a real place. It's not just this imaginary thing. It's, it's a real place. So that's, that's a summary of our way. And I'm going to flush this out as we walk through the morning. On the other hand, you have God's way. This is another way to live. God's way is where you submit to Jesus as the ruler of your life, as the, as the boss. We like to say the word boss because it's a term that we're familiar with. Scripture uses the term Lord, but it's the idea of a master, a boss, someone who's in charge. So we submit ourselves to Jesus as the one who's in charge. He's the boss. And then, rather than relying on ourselves and our own good works and efforts to make it through life, and, and to try to make ourselves right with God, we, we rely on Jesus' death and His resurrection. We recognize that that's what saves me from the penalty of going my own way in life. So I submit myself to Jesus as ruler, and I rely on his death and his resurrection to save me. The result of that is I'm forgiven by God. I find out that I can experience forgiveness of my sins. I can be, I can be free to relate to a holy God. He has made me righteous through the work of his son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life and died on the cross for my sins. And then I'm given eternal life. The Bible says that for those who are in Christ, they experience eternal life. The moment you receive Christ, you step into that eternal life, actually. It begins there. And, and, and He's preparing a place for us. Heaven. That's to be with God. A real place in paradise for all eternity. Now what you see is that there are only these two ways to live. There's our way. And, and there's God's way. And the Bible is also clear that the default is to live our way. This is the default. It's just to live, you know, in this way. For ourselves. Running our own life. This list, this is, you don't have to work at this. It's just very natural, isn't it? We arrive on the scene, and this is the default setting. If you were to go back to factory reset on your life, you know, we do that with our phones. When things get messed up, I'm going to reset and go back to, well, this is what we default back to. Because we've all sinned. We've all gone our own way in life, away from God. This is what comes very normal. And is corrupted by our own rebellion. So we don't experience the life that God wants for us. In our own way, it can never save us. It can't, it can't move us forward. 
And so, that's kind of hopeless. The fact that our way can't save. A lot of people, we find ourselves looking for answers. The picture picture that we get in the Bible is that by ourselves, we're on the path headed to destruction. And no one is safe until they move from our way to God's way. No one is safe. We all need to be rescued. We need God to do something in order to, to recover what has been lost. And when we discover this for ourselves, and we actually respond to Christ then we realize that in our default mode, we're lost to God. We were lost to God. If we accept Jesus' death as really death on the cross to pay for our sin and our rebellion, if we decide to follow Him, our eternal destiny changes. And then life here and now takes on a whole new meaning. Also, we receive a new assignment, a mission. And part of that is make Him known. We want to share others, share with others what Christ has done to set them free. And so our life, it has this added purpose. If you're in Christ, your life has this added purpose and meaning. It's kind of like an operation in the military. It's Operation Rescue. That's part of the church's assignment. And the church operates from behind enemy lines. That's why we gave it that title this morning. Is The church functions behind enemy lines. This is our purpose. We're trying to help people move from death to life. To be rescued from Eternal separation from God to eternity with Him in paradise. That's, that's part of our mission. That's why we exist as a church. And so, when we look at Scripture, we get pictures of this. I want to give you, Jesus, He gives a vivid picture, this is on your listening guide, of the mission of His church. It's found in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. I want to focus in on verse 18, but let's start in the beginning of verse 13. It says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples... He asks him this question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? That was his title for himself. So he's saying, who, who do people say that I am? Verse 14. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now these are all heavy hitters. Okay. Now this is kind of like a flattering answer. But even though they were flattering answers, they were wrong answers. Okay? They weren't good enough. So, verse 15, he says this. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? He spent some time with him. They'd seen him do miraculous things at this point. This is the middle of his ministry. They, this is actually early on. So, they're seeing some amazing things unfold. And he's like, who, who do you say that I am? You've gotten to come up close to me. Simon Peter, he replies, you are the Christ. You're the Christ. The Christ, the word Messiah. It's... You're the one we've been waiting for. The Messiah is the anointed one of God in whom will be fulfilled all the promises of God to the nation of Israel. You're that one. You're the Christ, he says. And then he says, the son of the living God. And Jesus, he replies with this, verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon, Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah just means son of Jonah. So you're the son of a man named Jonah. That's who you are. You know who I am. Blessed are you. You're Simon... Son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Your dad didn't tell you this. Your dad Jonah didn't tell you this. No one else told you this. He says this, but my Father who is in heaven, God the Father, revealed this to you, he's saying. You know who I am. Then in verse 18, he reads this, or he says this, I will give you the keys. I'm sorry. And I tell you, you are Peter. Just in case you're wondering, 
You're Peter. There's some name changing going on. I'm not going to focus on that. You can read up on that. But you are Peter. And on this rock, he says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now in this picture, Jesus, he paints in verse 18, you see the spiritual reality that forms the backdrop of the work of the church. This is why we extend ourselves. Now, verse 18, I want to look at it again. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we learn a few things. One is we learn that the nature of the church is spiritual. This is the first thing. The nature of the church is spiritual. The buildings that we use, they're only tools. It's more like a tent. I mean, really. It's just this exterior... They appear, buildings, equipment, all of that, all the stuff that we use to do church, those things aren't going to last forever. However, the church is eternal and is permanent. God is doing something through the church that will last for all eternity. Now, the word church, it, it literally means a calling out. It's a calling out and it refers to an assembly that is called out of the general population. So the church is a spiritual body, the body of Christ, who really, God calls out. He gathers them to know Him, to glorify Him, and then He scatters them to complete His mission. So He calls us out of the world, He equips us, we get training, but then He scatters us to accomplish things in this world, in this community. Second thing is the church works under Jesus Christ as He builds it. He, we work under Jesus Christ. One of the main ways that we work under Jesus' leadership to build it is by reaching out to people who are not yet a part of it. Not yet a part of God's kingdom. Reaching out to those who are still going their own way in life and who, who are facing and under God's judgment at that present time. Part of our assignment is to work with Him to help people be rescued. And so this is the centerpiece of our mission. This part of why we exist as a church is we want to help people who are far from God come to know Jesus Christ and experience a brand new life and learn to walk with Him and become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And Jesus, He came to seek and save the lost. And so we have received that assignment from Him to be about what He was about. Another thing we learn from this picture is this, is that the gates of hell will not be able to stop the advance of Jesus' church. This is really a powerful picture that he paints. The gates of hell will not be able to stop the advance of Jesus' church as he builds it. Now, gates in ancient cities, these were the first line of defense against attack and against enemies. You've seen movies where people are running, you know, there's enemy is chasing the good guys. And, and the good guys are running and they get inside the city walls and they're like, shut the gates, shut the gates. The gates come down you're like, that's a tense moment. You're eating your popcorn and you're trying not to choke on your popcorn because you want to make sure that the enemy doesn't get to them. That they shut the gates because we realize that the gates were the first line of defense against attack. But the gate is also the place where the leaders of the city would gather in ancient times to meet just to discuss matters and develop strategies for battles. Now these are actually the gates of Babylon. These are, you can find these in Berlin in a museum. So these are the actual gates of Babylon. And my mentor, Randy, pastor of Church in the Valley, he, he was in Germany leading a mission team. And he, 
he gave this picture for us to use, and he, he snapped this photo, and these are the actual gates of Babylon. I mean, you could see how this would fortify the city. Massive gates. You're not just going to run through and think, I'm going to knock that thing down. That will be your final thought. The gate is the place where the leaders of the city would meet to discuss matters. They would, they would, they would work the plans out. And, and these were secure places. Places of tremendous strength. Jesus, what he's telling us is this. He's telling us that the plots, the schemes, and the strength of Satan and his demons, his forces, his dark forces, will not prevail against the church as he builds it through us. Jesus, he calls the church out of the general population to follow him, but then to go back into the world to reach out to those who are being held behind the spiritual gates of hell. Because the picture we get is that to go our own way means we're already under judgment and we're already destined to spend an eternity in hell, separated from God. And so the church is about going behind enemy lines and the gates won't be able to stop the church. So this is a different picture. It's not that the church is fortified with these giant gates and the enemy can't. No, we're going behind the stronghold that the enemy is putting up in order to rescue and recover those that God is, is calling to Himself. We operate behind enemy lines, spiritually. This is how the church functions. We're in the thick of it, aren't we? I mean, if you think about it, and the enemy will not be able to stop the work of the church as Jesus, He builds it. It will remain. It is eternal. What this means, though, is that there's opposition from all sides. As you engage in ministry on the front lines of helping people come to know Jesus Christ, you ought to expect a tremendous amount of opposition because you will face it. From all sides. Because as we participate in the work of ministry and advancing His church, the enemy does not like to just lay down. So we find ourselves under attack constantly. Laziness, confusion, doubt, envy, bitterness, on and on and on. Different ways that we uh, experience attack and opposition. As we set out under our general's leadership to build his church, we experience opposition. But Jesus, he gives us his picture so that we know what to expect as we work together to fulfill his purposes on the earth. And Jesus, he leads his followers to build his church in the context of a battle. This is, this is what it means. To be in ministry is you're building and battling at the same time. You're constantly building up the church, helping people grow, and you're battling against the opposition. You've got to understand that. This is a very important thing. The battle that is going on, though, is for the souls of people. It's for the souls of people. That's, that's the battle. Hell, hell is a real place, and our enemy, he's trying to get us from engaging in the battle. He's trying to keep us from doing our part of helping to change the eternal destination of those that are already headed to go there. He wants to, to keep us from moving towards that. And sometimes we look around at the world and we look around at how things are going in the world and we give into despair and we ask the question, where is God in all of this? God's answer, His ultimate answer was to step into our world taking on flesh in the person of Jesus and to carry out a rescue plan to free people from bondage eternally. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. 
And you see it, you get kind of the picture here of what, what happened in the spiritual realm as Jesus stepped into our world. It starts and says, Since therefore the children, that's God's children, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Basically, Jesus, he became a man so he could identify with us and stand as a representative for humanity. That's what Jesus did. He, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, through his death, Jesus' death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The devil, what he's trying to do is he's trying to keep his hold on people. Remember, he's got a firm grip because that's natural, that's normal, that's default. He's got a firm grip. But Christ Jesus, he stepped into the world and he broke the power and the grip that the enemy had on people. And for those who would receive Christ, they are delivered from the penalty of their sin and they are being freed right now from the power of sin as they learn to walk with Christ in faith daily. The enemy's tactic, though, is just to keep a tight grip. Keep a tight grip through trying to keep people wallowing in guilt and shame and pride and selfishness Shame comes up over past sin, present sin. Start beating ourselves up. People beat themselves up. But Christ, if you're in Christ, Christ has already paid for your sin. You don't have to beat yourself up any longer. You're not going to be good enough. You're not going to get it all right this side of heaven. In Him you are set free from that penalty. Sometimes a person commits their life to Christ, but they're constantly living in doubt on where they stand with God. And the enemy's playing a game. Saying, you're, you're still not good enough. It's not enough. But that's his tactic. But if you found freedom in Christ, get this picture in your mind. You've been set free. I have been set free. Those chains have been broken. But countless people in our lives and in this world in the billions, are still in the devil's grip. They're still prisoners in this cosmic war because of sin and because of rebellion. And the pain that people are presently in is nothing compared to, the, to an eternity of separation from God and hell. Our present pain will not compare to the suffering in hell. Hell is described in the Bible as a place of eternal Torment. I don't think any of us have a picture that really can match what this would be like. Indescribable pain and agony without any relief or ever any hope of relief. Because death, we find out, brings final judgment. There's not a, I die and I get another opportunity. Death brings final judgment. Nothing will ease the pain of those in hell. The suffering in hell is unending. The picture that we're given in some of Jesus' parables and then also in the book of Revelation is that total annihilation will not happen in hell. If I, if I took a marshmallow and I threw it in a fire, you've seen this happen. It expands and then it, you know, it might light on fire, it burns up, and eventually it just disintegrates into nothing, right? And it's just ash. And then eventually it just totally is gone. There's nothing left. We want to think, oh, that, that must be what hell is like. So if I choose to go my own way in life, 
I'll suffer for a while. That's not the picture you get in hell. It's unending suffering. The suffering will continue eternally. The fire doesn't go out. The suffering does not cease. And I don't like to think about that. I don't like the discomfort that that brings to, put my, to try to wrap my mind around that. I don't like to think about this whole spiritual reality that there's only two, you know, two ways to live, my, or you know, our way or God's way. I don't like to think about that. But what I have to do and what we have to do is we have to keep an accurate picture in our mind. Otherwise, we fail to take ownership and just disengage from God's rescue mission. Because this is a reality going on behind the scenes. This is the backdrop story of what's going on. So this is why we engage ourselves in ministry. This is why we extend ourselves if you're like, man, that really helps give clarity for why I got up early and served. Because I'm a part of helping people move from death to life. I get to play a part in that. As a team, we play a part in that. The roles that you play, don't, don't let the role, whatever it is, define your identity. You're involved in something so much larger than, than the tasks that you put your hand to. But they're important. And today in our world... There is so much conflict that for an adult with any media access, it's almost impossible to escape the reality of, of war and conflict. I mean, you turn on the, the TV, you read the internet, read the papers, and it's just nothing but war, conflict. And so we're tempted to just to shut the paper. I found a website that said that there's currently 65 countries at war or in current conflicts. And then there's... In addition to that, hundreds of additional conflicts with smaller militia groups, guerrilla groups, anarchist groups. So there's all of this conflict. And with all of the widespread conflict, the temptation is just to grow numb towards conflict. I have a distinct memory of Operation Desert Storm. I'd never experienced war. I'd never um, had a picture of it in my mind. And when I was in high school... Our country was engaged in this war, Operation Desert Storm, and, and it officially ended when I began my freshman year in college. But I couldn't ignore the reality of the war that was going on. And maybe some of you remember that. Maybe you even remember wars prior to that. But I didn't have a picture of Vietnam in my mind. I didn't have a picture of, of World War II. I could read about it, but even I could see I, there was something different about watching the news that was just continually reporting what was going on with our troops and in the war. And, I mean, here's a picture of fighter jets bombing oil fields. And I, I don't know if you remember these pictures, but I remember these things. And I, I couldn't, I had a difficult time shaking what was going on on the other side of the world. Because now I had a picture. I mean, I, I had a clear image of missiles, of devastation, of impact. And again, Here's the thing. The wars around the world, those 65 countries in conflict, which were one of them, those wars do not even come close to the widespread, even wider spread nature of the cosmic war that is right now going on in the spiritual realm. That, that is nothing in comparison to the cosmic war. And we can choose to shut it out of our minds but if we keep a clear picture of the spiritual reality of what's going on, then we're far less likely to just sit back and disengage. If we have a clear picture, because the picture in the Bible is one that is accurate, and then it keeps us moving towards the front line, because we realize, I've got to engage people who are far from God, because they have no hope without Him. 
And we were all standing in those shoes. It's not like, because I feel bad for them. No, it's I understand. I, I came to a point when I realized, personally, when I was 18, it's time to really do business with Jesus because I can't play games with Him. He's going to have to, I have to give Him my heart. This ain't working my way. And so I can, I can understand doing life my way because I did life my own way and it wasn't working. And I understood the, the consequences of what that would was bringing and would have brought for all eternity. But the enemy, he has waged war against the church. He's waged war against our church and other churches that are trying to advance the cause of Jesus Christ. And he is bent upon keeping people blind to the truth as prisoners of war. He wants to keep the unbelieving world totally blind. And that's what you find. You talk to people, you see life is falling apart, and you say, you know what, I think I know the answer. And you begin to express to them the hope you found in Christ, and they're just... It's like they don't, they're not connecting any of those dots because they're, the blinders are on because the enemy has has put them on, over them. They're blinded to the truth. And so we pray, God, would you, would you set people free? Would you, break the, would you break through with your light? God, would you do something? And we pray and ask Him to do that. But if you're doing church and doing ministry, this is, this is what we're doing. That's, that's what we're doing behind the scenes. There's actually a group here, and, and you all can wave your hands. From a, they're, they're, this is a group from a... Um, they're in the planning stages of planting a new church in Moreno Valley. And, and so they, they contacted us to say, hey, can we, can we come and see the setup and teardown process of, of OCC? And so they were here this morning and they're here today. And so, and, and my heart is thrilled that, that more and more people are just willing to, to go closer to the action and just say, God, we want to serve you. If you'll use us, we'll just, we'll, we'll use the people that we are and, and the gifts that we have, we'll just see what you would do. And, you know, honestly, that's the, that's the safest place to be is right in the middle of God's will. And so I want to encourage you and, uh, I, you know, get a little choked up because what you're doing, it makes such a, it makes such a difference. We moved out here with seven adults and, and, it was, and we have experienced a tremendous joy and blessing as we've seen God work. It has not been without challenge and opposition and attack. But what you're doing really matters. And so I just want to encourage you. The church is called Redemption Church. So pray for them. Pray for them. And I think Redemption Church, right? And um, when are you guys launching? When is that? January. So pray for them. Many of you understand what they're heading into. Many of you have been through this with us. And so, and you're, you're, you're in the mix with us. And so um, pray for them as they launch out in Moreno Valley. We, we need more people to be about that kind of work to be about the mission and the vision of, of God's church and advancing. And the promise that Jesus makes is powerful. The enemy, he, he has this whole unseen demonic network. He has a cunning army that aims to just keep people in bondage. Ephesians 6 says this. It says that this is where most of the battle is fought. We think conflict is interpersonal. Look at what Paul writes. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's not where the real battle is, he says, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. At points, this whole spiritual reality can cause us just to retreat, or to be frozen in fear and just freak out, 
But then again, again, a clear picture from God's Word just keeps moving us forward to stay in the game. And I want to encourage you, two things. Stay engaged in this spiritual battle by remembering these two things. Number one, God's power is greater than His enemies. God's power is greater than His enemies. The church is fighting on the winning side. That's the promise that Jesus makes here in Matthew. It's, it's, it's a tremendous promise. But look at 1 John 4.4. 4. John writes to the church, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So the Spirit of God that lives inside of you, if you're a Christ follower, is greater than any opposition you'll face. There will be opposition, but the Spirit who lives inside of you, He is stronger, He is greater. And sometimes it can feel like we have our backs against the wall in this war, but the advancement of God's kingdom and His eternal agenda, it will not be halted by any scheme of darkness. God, His Spirit, is moving, He's working through us, and what we have to do is we have to rely on Him and His power, His great power, in the battle. We've got to rely on His power in the battle. That's the key to victory. Not relying on ourselves, but just asking God, God, would you use me? I need your power. I need your spirit to focus my mind here, to remind me of the, your truth in the Word. I need you to help me to respond to you. Give me the power that I don't have to do this right now. And then number two, there's strength in knowing that we're in this together. We are not alone. The cool picture is that there's this army that we're a part of. Where there's this... We're a, a large group working together. We're not alone in this fight. The church teams up together as a spiritual force. And there's even... An, so our group, our church, we're this, we're this spiritual army, but there's an even larger, massive spiritual army across the world that's advancing God's eternal kingdom. And we're a part of that as well. And at times, though, I could just feel overwhelmed with the sheer size of the task. God, how are we possibly going to make a dent in life, really life-changing dent in this community, in the surrounding cities? How are we going to do it? But then I remember this statement. Matthew sixteen eighteen. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I can just trust in the promise that Jesus is saying here. Nothing will pre- prevent the advancement of God's church. We can press on. Though it seems like an impossible mission, I know that Jesus is going to build His church. And we are under His command, and He will do it through us as we do our part. Nothing will prevail against building His church. And we miss out, though, if we shut this picture out of our mind. But instead, if we just take ownership of it, and we engage personally and invest ourselves in His mission and cooperate with God to be a part of changing the course of a people's you know, eternal lives. Even the here and now, what they get to experience. If we engage with that, it's, it's, it's the most exciting adventure that we can have. And if you're here and, and, and God has just kind of stirred your heart Personally, you realize, you know what, when you, when you talked about the two ways to live, Josh, I looked at that and I listened to that and I realized I, I still am living on that other path. I'm still living for myself. I, I'm going my own way in life. And I realized that in a group this size, there, there, there are many that are still processing, really submitting your life to Jesus Christ as the Lord, as the boss. And so if, you, if you're at a point where you're like, that was really helpful. 
I'm going my own way in life, and now I have a pretty clear picture of what that means for me here and now, and on into eternity, that I'm, I'm, I'm under God's judgment right now, and I, I want to be freed from, from the bondage that I'm in, and the place I'm in in life. If you're at that point where you'd really like to know, how do I begin a relationship with Jesus Christ today? Or, or I just want to talk about that. A couple of things I wanted to mention. One is on the connection card on the back. You flip the connection card over on the back. It's, there's a column that says, Contact Me. And on, on the bottom box, it just says, I'd like more info about beginning a relationship with Jesus for the first time. If you check that box and you're here, um, we'll get in touch with you. Uh, I know we've been talking about armies and conflict, but we don't have a SWAT team that's going to bum rush your house and like invade your place tonight. We won't do that. What we'll do, though, is just communicate with you. And we'll, take, we'll really take your lead on the pace of, of communication and, and the level of interaction based on really where you're at and the questions you really have. And so, But we'd like to have a dialogue with you about that. We'd love to help you understand how to commit your life to Jesus Christ and experience new life. And honestly, our staff will be at the guest and info table. So if you're like, I can't wait to receive a letter in the mail, or I can't wait to get a phone call, I need to talk to somebody today because I'm not really sure where I stand with God. If you're in that boat, stop by our guest and info table. Our staff will be available to you. And I specifically would just like to let you know, if if, if our normal crowd um, wouldn't, gather around the guest and info table right after service. It would just allow newer guests to pick up a book that we'd like to give them and also just, if they would like to talk, if you would like to talk, then it just gives the opportunity for that to occur. And so, I want to wrap things up by inviting our worship team to join me on the stage. And on the back of the connection card, you'll notice there's some next steps that we want to suggest you consider taking as points of application for this morning. And those are these. There may be more that God has spoken to you, but here's some specific ways to apply this morning's message. Number one is, I want to memorize Matthew 16:18. That's that powerful vision verse about what God is, or what Jesus promised about the church and the gates of hell not prevailing against it. You memorize that and you keep that in your mind. Second, pray for the opportunity to be or to love and to share with blank. This is really if you're, if as we've been talking about. Just this backstory of what's going on in our world. Maybe there's some names of people that have come to your mind that you're thinking, you know what, this person has yet to really respond to Jesus. Um, we would love to, to support you as you pray for those individuals in your life that God has um, led you to. And then last, or third, consider ways to team up. We've talked a lot about taking ownership in this series. And maybe one of the thoughts that's come up to your mind is, you know what, I'm here and I've been on the fringes or on the fence and I've really not taken any ownership in this mission I'm a you know if you would say I'm a Christian I follow Christ but I'm just kind of doing this for me and Jesus and I've not really crossed that line to do we and Jesus and I'm not really interacting with too many other people I would just invite you to begin to take ownership of this mission by connecting connecting in small group serving in ministry with us and then last pray for our impact pray for OCC's impact we are you know, midway through our movie nights in the park, but we are pouring resources, time and money into events in our community and into training. And people are pouring their own resources into training and just to get better equipping. And, and honestly, our, our, our desire is to help be a part of this rescue mission, seeing people cross from death to life. 
as we give on Sundays and just give of our time, you know, we want to know that, that there's an impact. And so would you pray that the, the, the events we plan, the choices, the decisions that our leadership team is making, that we're just, we don't want to be flippant. We want to be strategic. And we want these things to really make an eternal difference. And so pray with us as a part of our church that what we're doing will have long-term, you know, eternal impact. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for... Thank you so much for this group, God. I'm just, as I stand up here and share, Lord, and as we look at your word, I'm just, I see people who, who've just decided to go all in, and I see faces, co-laborers, people that I, I have labored alongside for years, some for years, and some just recently, but God, there's just so many people that we're going shoulder to shoulder with for the sake of your kingdom and advancing your eternal plans. And God, I, I praise you for the work you've done in all of our lives. We know that there's more to be done. We know that there's more that you're doing in us. So God, we pray that where we're at today would not be the same a month from now and a year from now, Lord, but that you keep growing us to become more and more fully devoted as your followers. Lord, please bless our efforts as a church. Bless these events we're, we're holding in our community. These movie nights, Lord, bless those and help us to make connections with families who, who are far from you or who have just not found a church home. Lord, help us to make connections, Lord. We want to be used by you. And Lord, bless our relationships, Lord, as we're just scattered about in this community. We want to be just tools in your hands, Lord. We thank you that you would allow us to be used by you. It's a privilege, Lord. We ask for your power and your help in all of our lives. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.